I ask anybody's question but yours, you're an idiot. And really, a disloyal person. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans for Sportsnet podcast. Uh, with you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me as always, Christian Guzman and Andy Pregler. What's going on in the world of Syracuse Athletics, boys? Uh, and that's they- it. Let's wrap up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that good, huh? Uh, <laughs> what, what's the, is this Syracuse's version of the no good, terrible, horrible, bad week or, or however that goes? Yeah, probably. It seems yeah. seems approximately right. It, there's, I feel like this is like the weird week where we actually get to kind of focus on on the court stuff, on the field stuff, because, uh, you know, last week was what it was, um, and now we've had a spring game happen. There's positive recruiting news happening, and just a very different vibe this week than than the last week. Which, to be fair, burn it all down is not a vibe that I enjoy on a consistent basis. No, but it's a vibe that we're used to on a consistent basis. Yep. That that inherently may be one of the problems. Yep. So where do we want to start is the question. Let's start with the football. Okay. (laughs) Might might, Might be a full hour of football. Uh, oh, Nathan Apoku scored again. Is that what the football you were talking about? Or no? Yes. Hey. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, listen, in true Newton's fashion, there has to be El Football uh, conversation here. Yes, um, we, all, we almost saw Arsenal blow it. Okay. Yeah, that would have been great. That was, that was unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary. Because Tottenham lost 5-1 and it was hilarious. Uh, oh, no, sorry. 6-1? 5-1. It was 5-0 and oh. they lost 6-1. Oh, love it. Love when they they exist to remind Arsenal fans that it could always be worse. Uh, anyways. Even though, this is, <laughs> even though this is the first time since 2016 that Arsenal are finishing above Tottenham. And what did they win in that in that era? <laughs> what did Arsenal win in that era? Uh, a couple of FA Cups, weirdly. Yeah, that like, sounds right. Like very, very weirdly, uh, the Arsenal downturn was greatly exaggerated when you still win your domestic cup competition twice in your quote unquote worst era. Yeah, the, uh, the domestic cup that nobody cares about. Yeah, good job. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know it's good, hey, by the way. When at least we've... the English, do- what's that? I was gonna say at least the English domestic cup isn't every other country's domestic cup where it's the same team that wins it every year. At least, at least the FA Cup has. has some drama, cough, cough, man, Manchester Derby. Yeah. This is the first time in a major cup competition that there will be a man- Manchester Derby in the final. Hmm. There you go. I learned something today. You guys all probably did too. That said, I, I don't know too. how much we learned from the spring game, but uh, it happened. Great transition there, Steve. Uh, spring game happened. Um, I think that's probably the best word for it. I did not watch any of it. I didn't either, uh, Steve. <laughs> oh, uh, Kevin and Mike and I were all there. Um, yep. Kevin and I were down in the seats. Mike was up in the box. Uh, he's probably got a better perspective on things than we do, but um, 
from what we could see, there was, you know, um, there was football being played kind of half-assedly. Uh, they, they were only allowed to go thud. There was no tackling. There was no anything. You could tell from both, uh, both sides that things were a little thin. Um, you know, spring, spring does tend to be thinner, but like they dressed 10 offensive linemen and one of them was Chris Bleich, who was on a crutch in full pads on a crutch. Totally made sense. He could play. He did not play, thankfully. Um, but he was there with, like, even had his pants and knee pads and thigh pads in, and was on a so who crutch. Was the, who was the poor guy that drew the stick to play on on both the ones and twos? Uh, it was actually a mix. Uh, Jacob Bradford hit double duty, and then um, uh, Pat Alberga was in the converted defensive lineman. He was in um, for. When the when the threes and fours were there, he was playing the entire time. Um, yeah, there was there was some some guys playing some extra minutes, but uh, what it looks like from left to right, we might as well start with offensive line talk because that's what we're here for, anyways. Um, left to right, Enrique Cruz, uh, Kalen Ellis, Josh Aloa, as expected. Uh, right guard was Jacob Bradford. Right tackle was Joe Moore. Um, for the twos, if I'm remembering, nope, I'm not even going to try. Uh, <laughs> there were five other guys that went out there. Um, and and the sad matter of the fact is, is that we're going to have to know who the twos are. Yeah, uh, I can say Austin Kawhi did not look great. I think he lost some weight. I think he might have gained some mobility, but I don't know if that's what what worked out there. Um but the the D line was kind of rotating against everybody. There was a point where our threes were going up against um, uh, Kevin Darton, and that was not working well for them. Um, like so, you know, they they mixed it up. Uh, D line did actually look pretty good. Offensive line did not look as bad as I expected them to look. Um, the question is always, especially with those groups, whether that's a function of them not being able to go full throttle or what. So who knows? Who knows what we're actually getting from there? Um, Lampson looked a little better throwing the ball around. Uh, Del Rio Wilson had some solid pocket presence. Like overall, I really don't know what we gleaned from this um, outside of being able to see the guys play, which was, I mean, it was good. Uh, Damian Alford had his standard uh, couple of weird drops and couple of great catches. Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a mix of mix of what you'd expect to see, and I don't know if I had any real standout takeaways. If that makes it any sense, seems like no. It seems like that was the general vibe, and that a lot of what we got out of the spring was the reporting by Michael and and Emily of the of Syracuse.com where, you know, they'd go into practice for the first open period and, you know, lean, talk to players and get a better vibe on what's going on. Um, it really does seem like the spring game is for show, which we will get back to in a second. Yep. Uh, focusing, in on, focusing in on the players, I think that there have been three key position groups this offseason that have really garnered the most attention. Um, the quarterbacks, because of no Garrett Schrader. Uh, the offensive line, because of injuries and the now what seems to be obvious restructuring and then the defensive line due to lack of depth and the uh, basically we need somebody to step up over there 
Um, I think out of those three units, I feel the most confident in the quarterback play behind Garrett Schrader, knowing that at some point in time, we're probably going to be without Garrett Schrader just based off of his track record. Uh, But it is slightly concerning to me that after, again, we said this after last spring as well, but it does feel weird like coming out of this that there do seem to be far more questions than there do to be answers along the two biggest areas of concern for the Syracuse team going into the going into the season. Pun intended or no? Um, Both? <laughs> yeah, QB, <laughs> QB wise, you know, I mentioned Lamson and Del Rio Wilson. I wouldn't I wouldn't be uncomfortable with either of them, like whoever emerges as the two. Uh, both seemed functional. Del Rio Wilson also had the uh, um, he was also running with the the second unit offensive line, so he was getting hurried a little bit more. He was having to play under pressure a little bit more. Um, I don't know, Christian. You got any thoughts on the big guys? Because ironically, <laughs> ironically or unironically, I don't yeah. because uh, my thoughts are actually with a different group. Okay, um, because I can't. I don't remember where I saw this. I think it came out on Twitter uh, where um, I think ESPN did an interview with Rocky Long for, uh, for, the, uh, for the spring game, obviously, that aired. And like I said, Andy and I didn't watch it, so I didn't see the, the broadcast. But from what I saw on Twitter, it sounded like there were multiple times, if not the majority of the time this spring, that due to injuries... Syracuse was playing with two or one linebacker formations, which is yeah indicative of the state of the program. So one thing we noticed uh, on the big boards that was happening during the game was that I don't know if you remember two years ago when they did the sit down with Tony White and Sterling Gilbert. Apparently mm-hmm. they did the same thing with Rocky Long and um, Jason Beck and it looked like I the one clip I got was long talking about that. So I think that's definitely something um, to go back and catch that film on. Uh, I would I would hope that our communication school could communicate that effectively on YouTube somewhere, but I haven't seen hide nor hair of it. So one can wonder, but yeah, that that's definitely a um, concerning little tidbit that they're having to run that shallow. It's why I said in the uh, in the pre round table that we did that you know a guy like Hayden Bailey was going to be someone I was really looking to see like how he developed on defense because just given the nature of that position group in the linebackers and how important that is in a three three five, it's going to take the most punishment. It's going to re- dish out the most punishment, but it's going to take it as well. And so that being the case, what we saw last year is going to happen where. The, the position group is going to get depleted just based on the amount of hits the guys are dishing out. Yeah. And so in the pinstripe bowl, when you're down to three dressed linebackers, like you're, you're going to see the depth being tested. Yeah, that's, and I, I like that. I like the core of linebackers we have. If there was a couple more of them. Yeah. Like what we have seems like it's a solid core. And I mean, Bailey impressed in the bowl game, we know what we're getting in wax. If Thompson comes back healthy, maybe ish, hopefully. 
I, I'm not holding my breath on that one, but like, yeah, would really uh, like the only, group if the he only comes concern back. with Thompson is that he's Linton 2.0, where the only thing he's going to do is rush. True, but he's at least Linton 2.0 with size. Yeah. So I don't feel as bad with that, and he's shown he can play in coverage. Um, I don't remember Linton ever really dropping off the line into coverage, or uh, he was usually just straight up. He's going at the quarterback, and that's it like yeah. old school DN style. Um, whereas Thompson, you know, we've seen also stand up. We've seen also drop into coverage. We've seen him work a couple of different options. So there's at least that, although I wouldn't mind to straight up pin your ears back and go at the, uh, <laughs> go at the quarterback option. Um, for posterity's sake, I did pull up Syracuse athletics, YouTube. The only things from the spring game, which at this point has happened three days ago, are uh, a random highlights package that's two minutes long and the post-game press conference from Dino. So none of the graphics or anything that we saw in the Dome that would have been, you know, useful to look at are there. That, that sounds about right. I just started looking at the linebacker group and... Um, Actually, not look- depressed. <laughs> well, uh, it's like one of these situations where you... I, wax is great... Um, Stefan Thompson, we just talked about, um, Anwar Sparrow is the guy who I really liked in the spurts that we saw of him. Uh, same thing with Derek McDonald really liked him in the spurts that we saw of him, but there were some obvious size concerns. Um, both of them are definitely listed a bit larger now. Uh, Anwar at 6'1", 220, McDonald at 6'4", 225. But Lowry's probably in that mix, like a slight tier behind, but like in that conversation too. Right. I was looking at I was looking at Leon. Uh, I actually pulled him up because I just want to remember how many games he appeared in last year. Um, I think more than you had, would have thought. He had two games where he started, but he appeared in twelve. Yeah. Um. So I, he, I don't think it was just in special teams either. No. It was. Uh, it's probably when. Uh, when. Um, Mikhail went down. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. And then I looked at the rest of the depth and Caden Bailey seems like a really good special teams player, but not necessarily like 6'2", 217 is that's a little light for the <laughs> for the way that Syracuse likes to utilize its linebackers. Um, Austin Rune is a name that, you know, he he came out as like a as a decent recruit, but he got injured in the Clemson game and we never saw him after that. So I don't know how if we're playing with one linebacker sets, I don't know how serious that injury was and or if he's just somebody that's just not going to stay healthy. Uh, and then you're left with uh, Yasuki Sugano, who I did not even know was on the team, but uh, congrats. Pretty, sure he's a, pretty sure he's a walk on. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a PWO uh, that pl- came in. Yeah, he came in. Uh, he's a transfer. Wa- red. Per- uh, he played in the Wagner game, according to Syracuse.com. Uh, but yeah, the depth the depth is not where you want it to be, considering that we've no- seen Wax Thompson and um, Lowry or sorry, and Rune all deal with injuries, and those other three names after them are not necessarily great depth options there and it kind of makes sense about where the depth is going because the depth is at the safeties position yeah um 
it's not necessarily all quality depth, but it's depth of people who have playing time. So you know those are the guys that are going to step up and like quote unquote fill those roles if Syracuse needs to go with one or two less linebackers than they normally go. Yeah, I can say there were two points where uh, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know the two transfers were of note, like enough that Kevin and I were like, oh, yeah, there's Bellamy or like, oh, there's Gould. So they're, they're I'm, at least I'm honest. Happen. Yeah, from what from what we heard in, in the uh, training uh, from from spring practice. Yep. I'm surprised that Gold and Bellamy didn't and Ingram didn't jump into starting roles right away. Yeah, Ingram, I think is uh, I think he's the two line for DTs or DNs rather, um, which I'm surprised that he didn't jump into that DT slot. But it may just be, you know, what they're saying and how they're running that four man front as well. Um, so who knows where that's going to go? But you would have thought that well. I mean, maybe maybe some other guys made some strides over the offseason, too. That's always the uh, the other thing. Like, if he's playing DN, you've got Okachuku back ahead of him. Like, you know he's going to be there. Um, and then beyond that, what is it, Gears playing the other side? All right, yeah. So, you know, he would have jumped Takez and... Uh, um, Chase Simmons and Knowlton and uh, Jobity. So, and also Belzer Bessette, because I have to say the all name team candidate. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I, you know, who, you know, who actually stood out numerous times, assuming he was actually the one wearing 91 was Julio Smith, the uh, true frosh from um, uh, Abraham Lincoln in Brooklyn. Uh, Real solid. Yes, Andy Brooklyn. <laughs> Listen, I, it's re- Andy, Andy claiming Brooklyn by proxy. I'm just saying, sitting there. I, I guess we'll give it to him. I play I play pickup uh, soccer. Now we've moved to Sundays, but normally in the in the fall, we play on Saturdays. And it is always very funny to hear like this very uh, chill supportive inclusive pickup soccer game going next to the giant football fields where you just hear the coaches screaming uh because we play normally on saturdays from 12 to 2 and (laughs) there is a lot of high school football action happening then and it is uh not quiet but also on that note completely derailing this conversation i just i was biking past a high school that's right by me the other day they have a brand new state of the art football multi sport field uh, and there was a women's lacrosse game taking place did not know that but apparently lacrosse is now a brooklyn city sport so yeah, there you go um, next uh next they got they're probably getting pummeled by the long island kids but still <laughs> that that doesn't need to be said that is just a known <laughs> fact <laughs> uh, oh, you know what but, was an unknown fact that is now a known fact? Jack Stonehouse is our punter. There's no two ways about that. Uh, that's a great punter name. Yeah, and oh, he has a he has a great punter stash too. Oh, so mm. um, yeah, he was uh, booming things almost into the scoreboard consistently. Yes, Andy, that 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 reaction. Uh, for anyone who's listening on the podcast and he was very taken aback by that statement 
Um, yeah, him, Denneberg, and uh, what's his other, the other, or Hawkins. Hawkins. Um, no, wait, Hawkins and Williams were attempting to, like, all of them were trying to, uh, you know, kick it as close as they could to the scoreboard. Stonehouse was pretty much there um, and also was getting legit hang time on all of his actual punts and, like, watching specialists. He was impressing significantly. Uh, Denneberg looked like he can hit a field goal. He's not going to be Andre Schmidt. Uh, he is wearing 92, but um, he uh, looked more consistent than I would have expected, so I'll take it. Yeah, I think the the special team stuff, one, it's great that we actually have a, uh, a coach in that position. Always helpful. Uh, but... I do think that that's a very underrated part of the team going into this year is that the special team situation last year was not at, like the peak of Syracuse special teams, but it was pretty solid. All things considered, I think we were a plus on the uh, Bill C SP plus special teams uh, holistic mark. And so I think that there's still a lot of questions about the punting situation, which yes, Stonehouse is the red shirt senior. Uh, and out of California. And I'm also interested in the, the so kick fun. returning, punt returning situation. Kick returning less so, just because that's become less of a thing in college football with the new rules. But punt returning especially feels like an area that Syracuse has not necessarily thrived in in a long time. Uh, or even had something that's remotely average. Well, that was one thing uh, when we were sitting there. I can't remember who who was was it. Donovan Brown was the former track guy. Mm-hmm. That Kevin was wondering if maybe he uh, he works his way into the rotation, um, keeping because Payne is going to be needed in other spots and like yeah, trot him out there for uh, kickoff returns, which rarely if ever happen nowadays. But um, for punt returns, it's like. Do we work somebody else into the rotation? What are we doing there? Like, we don't need another instance of, you know, Pena being out there for more times than he needs to be and getting hurt because, well, uh, the wide receiver room is the wide receiver room right now. You've got pretty much Gadsden and a bunch of other people. Oh, uh, Gadsden's also listed as a tight end on the uh, Q's page again because things make sense. Uh, Demarcus Adams was dressed and didn't see any action. Uh, Alford, we talked about. Kendall Long worked with the twos, made some decent catches. Hatcher had some moments. Um, Isaiah Jones is. It's going to be. It's going to be Isaiah Jones, Gadsden, and uh, Alford. Alford as your three. With I, I guess we can only assume Adams at this point, um, being next in line, but. Uh, him and Pena are kind of right there. So that's uh, that's your wide receiver update for the week. <laughs> it's not ideal. It's not you, what you, you know, we're talking a lot about that's not ideal. Like, is it just our roster construction right now is so foobar that nothing's ideal? Like Thunder Dan, also Thunder Dan did not dress. Um. Dan Valari was not dressed, uh, who is now officially a tight end and working with a tight end number. So I think, well, I think that this goes into 
something that you had kind of called out, Steve, early on, which is that the transfer portal has changed a bunch of roster, roster construction. There's still an opportunity for transfers to come in and out of football programs after spring because guys are going to have a better idea of where they sit on depth charts uh, after spring ball. So there's an opportunity for Syracuse to add players and add depth players where they think that they need them the most, which is definitely a positive. But I think that in general, if Syracuse is going to get to six wins next year, the biggest thing is going to be health. Like, I I don't think that this is going to come down to a, do they need is the scheme thing or anything? I think that this is a straight up, if this team is healthy, they win six wins. They win six games and go to a bowl. If this team isn't healthy, the depth is just not there to be competitive with uh, the schedule that they have. Yeah. I mean, the schedule. Uh, do we have to? Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> it was going to happen eventually. We might as, do our, might as well do our monthly breakdown of the stupidity that is the schedule. Yep. So, oh God, I clicked a button on the new Syracuse website and it doesn't make any sense. Ah, so, uh, new layouts you got to learn. Yep. Yep. Sidearm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So the spring game was the first thing on the schedule. That's done. Yes. Uh, home against Colgate, home against Western Michigan. Sure. Uh, away at Purdue. Don't like that. They lost a lot too. I don't know what they brought in. Right. New coach too, right? Like they've got a whole turnover a situation. They're just as unstable as we are. Right. Uh home against Army, which is the non triple option army, apparently. <laughs> I will believe it when I see it. Yep. Uh which also for those that didn't know, uh the college football is actually this is a great uh quick segue here. Steve, explain to us the new college football rule about why the uh, a bunch of the service academies are getting rid of the triple option due to a change in the blocking rules. Because um, I don't fully understand it, and you're going to explain it like I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find the actual copy of the new rule. Uh, the gist of it is they're trying to uh, ban certain types of cut blocks, which are very useful for option teams uh and it's primarily what um army has made their bread and butter on for years uh in order to you know prevent injuries that can come from cut blocks because it's a real thing got one of my concussions from one of them um oh congratulations (laughs) yeah you know it just it's one of the list um but uh, the the fact that they're they're altering exactly how how and why you can cut uh, really changes the effectiveness of the triple option. So it's forcing them to kind of move away from what what has been their go-to for years. That's all I got at it this point. Is, until I, no, until I see the actual verbiage, it's like, eh, I know that's the gist of it. No, that's, that's fine. I was looking for the, the exact wording too and couldn't find it, but that's good. That's... The general of it. So, yes, Army will be playing allegedly out of the shotgun exclusively, not out of the triple option wing situation. So we'll see what happens with that. So they literally went to the pure opposite of what they were doing. (laughs) 
<laughs> they couldn't like slightly uh, yeah. transition. They didn't go to like a wing T or something. They're just like you either. You know what? You either Screw die it. a hero or just live long enough to see you copy everyone else in college football. <laughs> There's a part uh, of me that thinks that this is all just bluster and this is just Munkin trying to like. 3D chess his way into a surprise early season victory over a, a, a team on the schedule, cough, cough, Syracuse. Um, but I I think that if they do run, it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird. So Army, question mark. Uh, so it was from a Stuart Mandel tweet. That's what it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently he had something in uh, The Athletic talking to them about the, uh, the shotgun. But yeah, uh, I still still have no idea what the actual verbiage of what they're changing is. <laughs> Literally anywhere on the internet you try to find it, it's impossible. Okay, cool. Good talk. But, yeah, football, it's a thing. Here we yeah. are. Uh, last thing, I think, before we get to all the other sports. Uh, spring game. Steve... You, I mean, Christian as well, like we've been here long enough to see Syracuse's uh, struggles with the spring game as a event. And I'll call it that because when I started at Syracuse, Jesus, almost like eight, nine years ago now, uh, this wait, it was way longer than that. Yeah, that was me. That That was me eight, nine years ago. Andy is old. Do we have an Andy is old segment? Yeah. (laughs) I've been waiting for this day for two, three years now. <laughs> Steve's celebrating. It's not me. It's not me. God damn it. Uh, uh, the, uh, yeah. So yeah, 2011. So yeah, that was way more than nine years ago. Uh, they, it, the spring game was like a full on season ticket drive. Like, Hey, come out, see the team, watch an actual scrimmage where, we act like it's a regular game and the band is playing. And there was the saddest Scott- contingent of sour citrus there. <laughs> yes. It was and impressive. The, well, the game, yeah. And like that was obviously not a great atmosphere. And so it started transitioning and turning into this like, oh, we're going to gamify it a little bit. And then Dino Babers came in and Dino said, what spring game? <laughs> yep. And it it's, I feel like, uh, so for all intents and purposes, what I can say is that with Syracuse entering the ACC and the ACC creating the ACC network, those that succession of events is why Syracuse is being forced to do something for the spring game against their will. Uh, it is TV inventory. It is live TV inventory. And that is what the ACC is demanding of its uh, of its schools. So now that Syracuse has to do this and we've seen the last two years of the Dino Babers attempt at doing a spring game and it clearly not being something that from a football standpoint is worth anything really. Steve, what would you as somebody who has now had to cover this, whatever we want to call it, like what would be valuable for you out of this experience while acknowledging that Dino Babers is going to be paranoid as all hell and not want to show actual game film formations, actual contact, etc. I have no idea. I don't know, Christian, if you have any thoughts as to what they could do to make it more amenable to any of this. Uh, no, 
Yeah, the the unfortunate thing is, like Andy said, the last two still coaches that Syracuse has had um, have been so anti-give out any information to anyone whatsoever that it's not worth putting the putting the team in public unless it's a real game situation. So we get stuff like this, where where it it becomes not worth the investment to Syracuse to put time and money behind promoting the event like the others, like the other teams and not just the college football, but like even in the conference too. Mm-hmm. So that what it essentially becomes is that it's a thing that should generate more hype for the season. It should be a thing that generates more interest in the program, but because of what the coaches want to do and the coaches have every right to do, there's just no feasible way for Syracuse to do it in an efficient manner. Right, and I guess that's that's the crux, is the ACC isn't going to back down on requiring us to do it or televise it. Uh, how do you make it something that, for lack of a better description, sucks less? Like, yeah. you have, Kevin and I were talking, and it's like, you have the most diehard of the diehard football, like, that's who's showing up to this, is the people that you yes. are, that's your yeah. lifeblood. Well, what you do is you do what we've talked about they need to do with non-ref sports and just in general, eventually, all sports eventually need to do this as well, is you make it a family event. Yeah. That's what you have to do because we we know Syracuse, it's the huge, the surrounding suburbs are huge family areas. So you make it an event that's enticing for families to go to. And... That includes a lot of different ways to, you know, get access to the team, get access to the players, create special family packages to entice families to come, like partner with peewee football teams or stuff like that. Like, like invite, and honestly, like invite Section 3 football teams to come out to the Dome and stuff like that. Like, You've got to figure out a way to entice families because this is that's the this is something that Syracuse sports, not just Syracuse athletics, but all Syracuse sports in general, just to have a rough time doing. It's how to market their events to families. Yeah, no, and that's it's very weird to I don't know how to because. Because if you market it families, then you could then you can start trying and build the uh, tradition and fan base that the, the the SEC schools do, because there down there it's rooted in tradition. Right. So start now. So if you haven't started already, start now rooting in tradition. You know, bring the family out. Yeah. No, and that's, I mean, that's not a bad way to send it, and you know, be it family, be it community, be it whoever. Like find some way to get more more bodies in the seats. I mean, there was I didn't see whatever it showed on TV, but it was a lot of silver around there. Um, you know, you had your run of the place. Like it was it was less than a lax game. Yeah, and that's, that's not and it's and like you said, like only the diehard of diehard Syracuse football fans are gonna be at that game. 
Yeah. So and and the thing is, you know, those guys are going to be at the, at that game. So what do you have to do to get them on? You know, you invite you create more ways to have and like groups of people come to the game. And the easiest way to do that is to get fanboys. And yeah. not just Syracuse Athletics, but all Syracuse sports. Like, hell, the the Mets, even the Crunch at times. Like, I have to get on on that to get people into Packer Stadium. Mm-hmm. A, a, a rally towel just ain't gonna cut it. Uh, the rally towel was I would assume something they just uh, found on a cutting room floor somewhere. So <laughs> I'm surprised the dome tins didn't come out. You know what would have gotten the people out? Home field apparel. <laughs> Home field apparel sponsor, as always, of our show. Makers of the comfiest vintage T-shirts, hoodies, sweaters, joggers, whatever you think of that is that can go on your body and be warm and fuzzy. Homefield makes it. They have great vintage logos on it. Or uh, if you're looking for the more professional uh, version of it, they also have their core collection, uh, which is the same quality, fuzzy, warm, soft T-shirts, hoodies, sweats, whatever, uh, but with no logos on it. Uh, if you're interested in growing your Homefield collection of Syracuse or for some reason, non-Syracuse schools, because let's face it, uh, retro mascots are cool. Uh, feel free to head over to Home Field Apparel and check out uh, their stuff. Gentlemen, as we wrap on football and we move towards men's basketball in an era where NIL is not necessarily where we want it to be, their uh, red Autry is still able to bring in names Chance, uh, is it Chance Autry? Chance Westry. Chance Westry. Damn it, I knew that. Uh, You literally said that in the pre-roll. I know, and then I said Autry, and then I got, like, my brain started melting a little bit there. Um, I just kept thinking Chance. Chance the Rapper? What? No, anyways. Uh, Chance Westry is coming to Syracuse via Auburn and the transfer portal. Christian, uh, who is this kid, and why are we excited? Uh, Westry was a guy that uh, a lot of people thought was going to come along with Dewart Johnson in the initial 23 class before everything happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he was a top Syracuse uh, target for a long, long time in a 23 class um, and eventually, you know, went to eventually went to Auburn, but as we're seeing right now, uh, Autry has a lot of connections that he's pulling on from the recruiting trail, um, and he's using that to his advantage. And with the departure of Bayheim, there may be some correlation there that we may or may not know. But it seems like uh, Westry is a great two guy. Um, he's got he's got good length for a guard at six six, um, and should slot. And should be a two, and so assuming that, assuming that Judah Mintz doesn't come back, you have your perfect starting backcourt with Starling and Westry, um, which is not, honestly is one of the better ones that could potentially be seen for Syracuse in the past couple of years. Yeah, 
And I know I, I can remember, like you said, he was extremely targeted by the Orange when he was initially recruited. Um, it seems like that was, you know, forever ago at this point with all that's changed on that roster and team and Johnson and that whole mess and where that all landed. But if he can be a nice complimentary piece, then it's a great ad. Yeah, if starting cleans up some of the mistakes that he showed at Notre Dame, that has a chance to be a really, really talented backcourt. And it'll it'll also depend on what if Westry stays healthy because he's coming off arthroscopic arthroscopic knee surgery. So we'll see. But it's definitely a positive sign for Syracuse basketball. Maybe not the what maybe not the ones that all Syracuse fans wanted, but close enough. Uh, yeah, Westry, thirty uh, ninth overall, thirty ninth overall ranked recruit when he was coming out of high school. Uh, he is the scouting report coming out of high school is that it just feels like a Syracuse player. Uh, slender build needs to add massive strength. Uh, great body control, quick feet. A needs to develop his shot a little bit more, uh, but crafty in the mid range as both a scorer and a passer. And length creates the ability for him to potentially be a mismatch in the post. Which, if you could give me all of the bingo cards of a Syracuse basketball recruit, I think that is all of them in uh, in a player. <laughs> but but I guess Christian- that's the thing is, do we know what the bingo card for a Syracuse recruit should be now? I think there's a part of me that goes and looking at red where there is uh and it is similar to what the syracuse basketball recruits used to be it's just a matter of somewhere in the last you know 10 to 15 years what became acceptable uh that used to not be acceptable uh happened i don't know how else to put that um you know they stopped shying they stopped you know going for the length and athleticism in favor of uh, scoring, saying that the zone can hide, you know, certain d- deficiencies that come along with that. And I will say, the the my big takeaway here is that this zone is going, like, I know we're not going to be running the zone next year, uh, but this defense is going to look kind of vintage in the way that I feel like it might be a bit like the uh, Syracuse team from 2011 to 2012, where they were playing a lot more transition offense and on defense, it was less go back and sit in the zone and a lot more hybrid press trap into the corners, uh, then set up in the zone. If the, you know, the team was good enough to get out of that trap, but it does feel like this is a team that is just so much longer at every position than the ones that we've had the last few years. It's the problem is is that also like especially in the way that college uh, that pro basketball was played and what college kids can quote unquote learn. What are you gonna? It, it's gonna be tough to try and teach both defenses to Syracuse just in general, and oh. we saw what happened with that last year. Is that I, I think 
there there must have been some concerted effort to try both defenses last year, and it what you ended up was no defense by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I I I think while Red's experimenting now, when it comes to July and once the summer workouts start in July, he's going to have to make a decision and lock it in. Because well, there there's there's no way that you can go on uh, trying to you know experiment with both defenses. I mean, is that a modern thing? Because for years Jim did it. I think it is. I think it is a more modern thing, because again, when you when you look at what pro basketball is becoming nowadays, and just what basketball is in general now becoming a, nowadays, you know, back in the nineties and the early two thousands, defense was more of a priority. Now, it's an anomaly when a team in the NBA doesn't reach one hundred and twenty points in mm-hmm. a game, right. and that's generally the same thing in basketball where you need to get to 75 points in general just to be a competitive team where in you know back when Jim could switch up defenses in the early 2000s 65 points was enough to get you a win so in general off the way basketball has trended is and part of part of that is you know the evolution of the three-point shot and the more of and the more high-tempo offenses that have come because of it people and kids nowadays are more attracted to being a offensive first-minded player and so because of that you need to keep the defense philosophies simple because Let's face it, the guys who want to go pro and Syracuse build wants to, maybe hasn't done the best of it in recent years, but wants to build itself as a program that develops pro NBA players. Yeah. The guys that want to go pro are offensive minded players. You can talk about defensive guys all you want, but those are the role guys that are undrafted guys or who go into late second round. The offensive guys are the guys who get taken first, and those are the guys that get the highlights, and those are the guys that kids want to be. See, Anthony, comma, Carmelo? Yes. That was so, 20 years ago. Yeah, that was. <laughs> um, just and So just the way that basketball is played right now, kids want to score in general. They're like... You know, there's a reason why I call the NBA the no defense league. So like people want the the people like people don't want to you don't you don't see people look up to become Kawhi Leonard as often as you want to see people look up to be Luka Doncic. Fair. See now back in my day. <laughs> I'm going to get out the cane. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was, you know, you had, it was, I mean, it was the Jordan era, which yes, he was the scorer, but he was also the all defensive team, like lockdown defender. So everybody wanted to be everybody. Nowadays, it seems a little, a uh, little more uh, spread out. Especially once Curry 
and Clay, especially when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson prove that you can just shoot threes and win NBA championships. Yep. Those are those are the players that kids want to become. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. you know there's no amount of defense that's going to fix that. Mm-hmm. There is not. Ah. Uh. Well, during that wonderful conversation, I started clicking through 24-7 to look at other recruiting news that we want to talk about so I can postpone uh, the lacrosse weekend conversation. Uh, Syracuse, uh, it looks like right now, Syracuse got uh, issued an offer to a three-star quarterback out of Segundo, Arizona, named, I'm not kidding, Hype Grant. Hmm. His, his name is Hype Grand, and his current offer list is Akron, Buffalo, Colorado, Grambling State, and Hawaii. Um, so if Syracuse does, in fact, offer him, uh, or so if Syracuse did offer him, if no one else really gets in on that mix, it looks like it could be Syracuse versus our old uh, friend Sean Lewis going up for Hype Grand's signature class of I 2025. F- I forgot Lewis ended up landing with... Uh, with- the prime nation out there. Yes. And I do think that that would be an interesting recruiting thing to watch because obviously Colorado, a lot closer to home. Um, but it does see, and this is leading into somewhere from the recruiting standpoint, all of the recruiting news on Syracuse that has taken place in the last week, uh, is all about football going out West and making offers to West coast guys. Um, so I think this could be an interesting trend to watch as Syracuse has offered justice Williams, uh, three-star receiver out of California. 24-7 has an article about how Washington and Syracuse are standing out uh, in his recruitment to date. So another name to potentially watch. And then finally, to make us all feel really, really old on the recruiting trail, Syracuse hosted a visit for Caden Davis out of Seton Hall Prep in Jersey City. Caden uh, Davis is of the class of 2027. What? <laughs> I, saw, I saw that this weekend as well, and I'm like, yep, I know what's coming here. Hayden Davis, a member of the class of 2027, took his visit to Syracuse University this past weekend and has a photo with him and uh, quarterback's coach uh, back on the No on longer the just quarterback's coach, Mike, member offense coach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My kid's five. He's not that far off from the class of 2027. What the hell? <laughs> what are we doing, people? What you haven't started? Twenty-seven. Steve, you haven't started planning your recruiting visits yet. I, Come I on, yeah. There's the, the mail hasn't been coming in. There's where, no where's offers. Where's C Bass's huddle tape? Come on, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Uh, uh, instead, he's staring at Legos like a champ because, well, it's a lot of fun. You know what uh, wasn't a lot of fun? Lacrosse. Lacrosse. Um. Men lost 19 to 12 to Virginia. Uh, the highlight of that game was the final goal by Syracuse, which was an insane highlight that I got a push notification from ESPN about it. Um, <laughs> so that's how you know that that would broke through the zeitgeist a little bit. Um, anything that I need to add there, Christian? Nope. Sweet. Um, in actual surprising news, Uh, The women's lacrosse team lost to number five Boston College, uh, 17 to 16. So real close game there. Rather 
fortunate way to end or uh, to go uh, to go out there. I don't really know what else to say other than we've been hyping up the North Carolina matchup all season and forgot that there is this other beast that Kayla tra- uh, trainer is relatively familiar with. And uh, they might actually want to kind of remind everybody that they are also a good bass, uh, a good women's lacrosse program. Yeah. It's unfortunate because of the women's lacrosse did their best women's basketball impression and played insane for the first three quarters of the game. Yeah, and then uh, BC did their best Notre Dame against the men impression and went on a 6 nothing run. Yep. Just yeah. so unfortunate um, that this is like, oh, hey, this thing that we had just kind of written off... Uh, is is now a thing it, it uh, was it, it, it was really unfortunate because it was a uh because it was a four it was a seven i think it was seven uh a seven goal lead at one point in the first half it was a four goal lead at halftime and then it just second half just completely fell apart yeah yeah that said i would much rather have this happen now and give them yeah. some impetus going into the postseason to be like, hey, let's get our shit together. Uh, rather than, you know, have the undefeated season coast into the postseason and then, you know, be like, oh, whoops, here's our hiccup. Two yeah, have the, and, have the wake up call way too late. Yeah. So at least now they know they're not infallible and uh, things can happen. Yeah, the uh, the game was also at the SU soccer stadium. Um, so that's, you know, no one, no one got hurt because playing on grass is usually a good thing. Uh, the women's lacrosse team will be back in action this week. They clinched a share of the ACC regular season title and will get a date with Virginia tech on Wednesday, the 26th of April as part of the quarterfinals of the ACC women's tournament. So uh, they should beat Virginia Tech quite easily and move on to the semifinals. Uh, and we'll see who their opponent will be once that uh, round of quarterfinals gets underway. But that is that was just a rough weekend for, for lacrosse. <laughs> just rough. Yep. Uh, on that note, I my mental list of things to talk about has expired steve christian did i forget anything probably Mm. (laughs) i i mean i don't have an answer to what you forgot but you probably forgot something no that's fair (laughs) uh but i do hear my dishwasher going off so that means it's time (laughs) to end this week's edition uh the 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 natural alarm clock of the adult human (laughs) yes i need to go put away my dirty dishes or clean dishes now thankfully thank you dishwasher don't put away Uh, your dirty dishes doesn't work well (laughs) done that on accident before take it out the next morning you're like what is oh (laughs) yeah not great uh that does it for this week's edition of troy news is an art jeez i'm putting away the dirty dishes that's it for this week's edition of the disloyal idiots a fans first nation podcast thank you all for tuning in and listening uh on your podcast provider of choice make sure you rate us review us subscribe so that way you can help trick 
the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Uh, thank you for those who are watching live on our Twitch channel. We really do appreciate you tuning in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. for our live cast. Additionally, we want to uh, you know, thank everybody who is reading the and consuming the podcast through our friends at uh, newsedition.com. We appreciate your continued support of us. And as always, go orange. Go orange. Go orange.